faith like the uninterrupted systematic teaching and preaching of the Word of God. And so we are continuing through the book of Acts, which is the continuing acts of the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit and the person of the apostles. And so how many of you have ever had a chance to travel outside of the country? How many of you have ever been outside the country? How many of you have ever seen a good church outside of the country? Right? You've been out there and you found a good church. And you're kind of weird to realize that there are people just like us on the other side of the world that are pre they're praying, they're preaching the good news, they're seeing souls saved. I mean, it, I remember seeing that in Japan and thinking to myself, how in the world did this get here? Because it seems so far away. Same thing, when I was in India, we flew a combined amount of 17, 18 hours, drove about three hours on some hard roads in the middle of nowhere. We get to the top of this mountain. There's a city on that mountain, and there are more than one, not enough, but there's more than one in that 350,000-person area uh, Bible-preaching church. And you think to yourself, how did that get there? Well, if you trace it back, that church was planted by another church, was planted by another church that was uh, started by a missionary that was sent by another church that was started by another church that was probably started by a missionary. But it all had to begin somewhere, didn't it? It all had to go back and begin somewhere. And we're going to see a little bit of that tonight. Jesus Christ charged the disciples and to preach the gospel to every creature. And so here's the apostles with a total of about 120 believers from what the book of Acts says. And there's a world filled with people, different types of people, different languages, different countries, even different governments once you got outside of the Roman Empire, if you think about the peoples that they would have considered barbarians at the time. And how on earth are they going to do that? Do you ever, you ever think about how they were told to preach the gospel to every creature, how they were to go into all the earth, Judea, Judea Samaria, under the uttermost, as well as Jerusalem. Did you ever think that they like sat down and they're like, okay, where do we even begin? How is this even going to start? How are we going to do this? And even though you had 120 people, probably not all 120 of them were of the, the ability or of the understanding to be preachers, right? We know on the day of Pentecost that we're going to look at that Peter and the others, they gave testimony of what happened and they started preaching, but something is going to have to happen for this to get started. Something is going to have to happen for this to get started. Jesus promised them power and the Spirit, but what does that even look like? What does it mean that he promised them the Spirit? How is the Spirit going to help when he shows up? And so we look at, how does it go from a group of poor, unconnected, unorganized, frightened believers, huddled in an upper room, to a world-changing movement? Well, tonight we get to see some of that in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 1. The Word of God says this, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were, dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia in Pontus, in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, in Egypt, in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, the strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others, mocking, said, these men are full of new wine. Let's pray together. Father, open your word to us. May your spirit teach us and guide us into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord Jesus Christ has given his life on the cross by this time. He was buried and he rose again from the grave on the third day. And he appeared and showed himself to his disciples and commissioned them to reach the world with the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ 
and the faith in him for the forgiveness of sins. And then he ascended into heaven and he gave them this promise. You need to wait. You need to tarry in Jerusalem until you have power. And then you need to tell the entire world. And that is where things begin in our passage tonight. It says in Acts chapter 2, in verse number 1, that it was the day of Pentecost. It was the festival of weeks. Uh, 50 days or thereabouts, 49, 50 days after the Passover. So if you think about when Jesus died in the Passover time, it's been about that long since he died and rose from the grave. And now the day of Pentecost, it's a feast day. One of the things that happened on this feast day is that all the men of Israel were supposed to present themselves before the Lord at the temple. And so there was a huge pilgrimage. We don't really do that as Baptist people go on pilgrimages, but perhaps you've had the opportunity to go to the Holy Land and to see the things that are over there. Uh, there are many religions that still do pilgrimages where they have to travel to Mecca or certain cities and certain Asian nations where they, they go and they offer their respects. But it brings a flood of people. And into Jerusalem, it talked about multitudes of people came in. Do you remember Passover? Same thing. Multitudes of people came into Jerusalem. And so they were there when Jesus was teaching and preaching in the temple. And they were also there when he was executed, when he laid down his life on the cross. Now, another situation has happened, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is what we read about during this time, and it is no accident at all that the Spirit of God came in power at this time when the city was flooded with people from all of these different places. No accident at all. And so the disciples, it says in verse number one, were all together in one place. That's important. They were together. And they weren't just together in a location, they were in one accord. They had the same mind, they were in agreement. They were waiting, they were praying, and they were expecting God to do something great. There's nothing like unity in a church to bring on the moving of the Holy Spirit. I wholeheartedly believe that one of the reasons why they received the power at this time is because they were together in one accord. How, how does a church any church, our church, any other church, how do you find unity among people with so many different backgrounds? How do you find unity among people with so many different experiences and so many different ideas and so many different opinions? How do you find unity among people that have perhaps been a believer for a matter of days or have been a believer for 50 years? How in the world do you find unity in that? And the answer is the Word of God. This is where we gather and agree on whatever this says. I remember one of my spiritual fathers, his name is Clarence Sexton, he told me that um, he, he went to a church and um, they, they said before he took this church, I believe it was in Patterson, New Jersey, um, and he had just preached in the country and in smaller cities in uh, Tennessee, and they said someone just needs to go up there and take that that church, take the bull by the horns and take that church in a great location right outside New York City. And it, it can, great future, great possibilities, great potential. And so he got up there and what nobody told him was the bull didn't want to be taken by the horns. And so he got there and after he was trying to motivate them to, to soul win, after he was trying to motivate them to do things biblically, they started having some secret meetings behind his back, the leadership in the church, the deacons and things like that. And eventually, they called him into a room after one of the services, and all of the disgruntled people were on the outside of the room, and they kind of thrust him in the center so he was surrounded when he got inside of there. You can already tell when someone's calling a meeting without including the pastor in it, something's going on that probably ought not be going on, because if there is a problem, include the pastor in it. Tell him what's wrong. The Bible says that if we have aught against a brother, we need to speak with him directly, speak with her directly. And so what he did, they started complaining and they started at, and, and he took his Bible and he set it down on the ground and he knelt on top of it. And he says, this is how we're going to find unity. We are going to stand where God stands. And one by one, they all left the room because what he was preaching from, what he was preaching to them was from God's word. They never had a Bible preacher up there and they kept saying, show us that in God's word, show us that in God's word. And when he was able to, they eventually changed or they left. So you ask yourself a question, how do you find unity? How do you get it? Well, you have the mind of Christ. Where do we find the mind of Christ? Every time we open God's word, we find what the Lord is thinking about. 
And so we can see inside of the Word of God a place of unity. And they were gathered together in this unity, and what a blessed thing that it is. Verse number 2 says, Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Suddenly, one minute it wasn't there, and the next it was. And it was a sound that filled the house. I, I don't know if you've ever heard the sound of a tornado. How many of you have heard the sound of a tornado before? What's it sound like? Sounds like a train, doesn't it? It's loud, right? That wind is moving at such a howling pace. If you haven't heard, perhaps, uh, a hurricane, you know what it's like to hear the wind if you're in a house that doesn't have the best windows. If you're in a house that doesn't have the best siding. Maybe you're in an old house, and you can hear it whistling through the attic. You can hear it coming in through the, the walls, and that sound is like... It was like that, <clears throat> a violent, shaking wind... But it wasn't actually a wind. It was a, a sound that accompanied. And they knew immediately that it was from heaven. There was something unearthly about it because it didn't belong of earth. It belonged of the heaven. And it filled the whole house where they were gathered together. One minute it was there and one minute it wasn't. Verse number three. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. Well, that's not normal. This isn't some, if you're wondering if fiery looking tongues appeared on them, if some sort of anointing over the, the mouths of the people that wasn't fire but looked like fire, something supernatural was going on. If you think that like that happened every Tuesday in the Bible times, that's not how that worked. This was something that had not been seen before. But what had been seen before is God in the Old Testament, whether it was in the pillar of fire by night with the children of Israel, or whether it was Moses being called from the burning bush, there are many times when God represented and showed himself with that idea of fire or flame, that purifying, consuming flame. And so when that sat upon them, upon their mouths, it's as though the very presence of God now dwelt, not just in a vague sense, but with them in their words, because they're about to speak forth the truth of God in a way that has not been seen before. Verse 3 says, it says, tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. Did you notice it didn't just sit on the apostles? Did you notice it didn't just sit on the men? Because there were women gathered there too, as well as Mary. Every single believer was anointed, was, was chosen, was if you want to think about it, baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit in this moment, meaning that all of them were being enabled to do God's work. That from, the, from Peter, who everybody expected to be a great preacher, to the least of these, whoever that would have been in their company, this appeared on all of them. It's important for us to remember that every believer at the moment of salvation has the Holy Spirit of God living inside of them. It, the Spirit of God indwells inside of us. I would be pretty impressed, I would be pretty encouraged if I walked in tonight and Jesus was sitting here on the platform. First of all, I'd say, you should probably preach tonight. That's the first thing that would happen. And we would all be very excited. We would probably pray better than we've ever prayed. We'd probably sing better than we've ever sung. We would probably even give the announcements better because Jesus was here. Well, the Spirit of God is no less God than God the Father or God the Son, and now he lives inside of every believer. And so wherever you are, if you know Christ as Savior, God is there with you. You're never alone. Some people take that to be a bad thing because now they think, well, I can't get away with anything. No, it's a very good thing because when you feel lonely, when you feel like you're not enough, the Holy Spirit of God is with you. They were promised this spirit. Look in John 16, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you turn back to John chapter 16, this is the night before Jesus died when he gathered together for that feast in the upper room. It's recognizing the Passover. And John chapter 16, in John chapter 16, in verse number 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the Prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come... 
He will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Here, we're reading about the Spirit of God being promised to them, and we see it even more specifically in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. There is this promise that Jesus is going away and the person of the Holy Spirit is coming and he's never going to leave again. And this is the amazing thing. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God only came on a person, indwelt a person, on a temporary, conditional basis when they were called to do some great work for God or when they were a prophet to give God's message. I want you to think about Samson and the might and the power that Samson had, the supernatural ability to destroy the enemies of God and his strength. Where did it come from? Well, the Spirit of God was upon him, right? When David wrote the Psalms and and even when he went to war, it says that God taught his hands to battle and his fingers to war. It was the Spirit of God that enabled him to sing the songs, to to write what he did. We we see that whenever the, the... prophets would come. They were anointed by the Spirit of God, and they were there, but he wouldn't always stay there. David prayed in Psalm 51 that God takes, doesn't take his spirit away from him. That's not a prayer that you and I ever have to pray as believers in Jesus Christ, because it's not a conditional thing. The Spirit of God has promised to come and to never leave, and here he is showing up, fulfilling that promise, and now they're going to have what they need in order to get the gospel out. Now, you may not quite see how this helps them, but I think you will in just a couple of verses. It says in verse number four, back in our passage of Acts 2, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. How many of you know a language other than English? Any of you know a language? Okay, let me back up. How many of you could order food in a language other than English? Okay. So that's, that's where the rubber meets the road. I don't care if you can talk about science in Spanish, but if you can order us food if we wound up in Mexico, that's important to me, right? So how many of you, you could order food in another language if you needed to? All right, a few people, right? Anybody know another language fluently? Anybody speak another language fluently? No? It's, it's not an easy thing, is it? It's a challenging thing. You hear about our missionaries going off to other countries and learning these other languages, but in a moment without any kind of language school, without any kind of study, without any kind of prior experience, having just grown up in the area of Galilee, these men suddenly could speak in languages that they did not know. This was not normal. This was the Spirit giving them utterance. And these weren't just languages that were made up. They weren't just babbling among themselves, as we're going to see in just a moment. These were actual languages. Can you imagine one minute not being able to speak German and the next minute speaking German fluently? One minute you couldn't speak Italian, the next moment you could speak it fluently. Mandarin, no idea, don't even know a single word in Mandarin. And all of a sudden you could preach the gospel in it. Something supernatural happened in this moment, and that is how the gospel is about to spread. Verse 5, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. You see God starting to put this together? All of a sudden, the disciples that couldn't speak all these different languages are given the ability by the Spirit of God to overcome the language barrier. And then in the same city where they're having the Spirit of God outpoured on them, there's a bunch of people from a bunch of different nations that have come for the festival to worship there And they're about to hear something in their own language. Not just Jewish people, but it says devout men. Gentiles that became Jewish people. Proselytes. They gathered there as well. And so, do you know where those people live? Not Jerusalem. They don't live in Jerusalem. They're there temporarily. Where do you think they're going to go after the feast is done? They're going to go back home. And guess what they're going to have heard? before they go back home. Verse number six. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. So this is what happened. The the fire of God comes down. The spirit of God indwells, anoints the apostles, anoints those that are in that house. They go out into the streets and they start telling people about Jesus and a noise, a commotion, 
A crowd forms. Have you ever walked around a city where people actually walk around the city? We don't do a whole lot of that in North Olmsted. And they're standing up looking like this at the side of a building. What is the natural reaction? You stand up and look as well. What is it that they're looking at? What are they pointing at? This happened, but they weren't looking up a building. They were sitting here listening to the apostles speak, and they were hearing this commotion. And every man heard them speak in his own language. Meaning that if you came and you didn't speak Aramaic, you didn't speak Greek, you, you spoke some other language that you grew up with, that's what you heard them speaking in. And you're like, wait a minute, how did that Jewish person from Galilee learn my language? How in the world did they do that? They were confounded, they were confused, because that wasn't normal. Every man heard them speak in his own language. I'm curious exactly what this looked like, because we're not told. Was it that there was every language covered by one or two people? You know, if you were to use modern languages at the time, there's two people speaking in Spanish over here, and there's a couple people speaking uh, in, in some African tribal dialect over here, and there's somebody speaking, uh, you know, Creole over here. Is that what it was? Or every time any of the apostles that were anointed by the Spirit spoke, or any of the people, did they just immediately translate? And they hear in their own minds, because of the power of the Spirit of God, exactly the language that they were brought up hearing. I don't know. We're not told exactly what it is, but what we are told is that everyone understood and it crossed right through the language barrier. There was no accident of timing, was there? God brought all of these people from all of these places into the city and then outpoured his spirit at this exact time so that they would hear the message in their own language. In verse 7, and they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? They recognize right away, you don't look like you're from where I'm from. You're not dressed like you're from where I'm from. I don't understand how this happens. Verse 8, and how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? It's not uncommon to speak more than one language in different parts of the world. You have the language that you spoke that you heard in your home. This is what your mom and your dad spoke and your siblings and your aunts and your uncle. This is the language. But maybe when you would go outside, you would speak a different language. Uh, our friends in India at the India Bible College, um, there's a number of those people there that speak, um, they speak Tonkal as a language. But then there's also other tribal languages that they speak. So there is a statewide language called Manipuri. But not everyone knows that, and it's a very simple language. And so they also speak English to a certain extent because it allows all of these different tribes to speak to one another of these backgrounds. It's the same thing in Europe. It's not uncommon for somebody that grows up in Europe to have a smattering of other languages as well, especially if they're on the border between a couple of countries because that's just how life is over there. So there's probably a language that you don't know as well but you use it when you're speaking with people that are further away. And then there's the language that you speak in your own home. I can tell you right now, it would have blown the minds of our friends in India if I got up and started preaching in Tonkal. They would have lost it. They would have been like, how does this white guy know our language? How in the world is he doing that? That's amazing. And it would have meant something to them far deeper, far deeper than me getting up and speaking in English. Now, I want to let you know, here's the letdown, I preached in English when I was over there. And for the most part, I think they understood me. But they will never quite understand English the way that they understand Tonkal. That's what they've heard. There's, there's languages that are, there's just a little bit of difference in understanding. Even some missionaries that have been on the field for a long time and they learn the language and the culture, they'll never quite know it the same way as a national who grew up knowing that language, as a national who grew up in that culture. There'll always be a little bit of a mindset difference. I love to tell this story because it makes no sense. I was taking Japanese classes and the first year Japanese classes at Ohio State, Iwami Sensei, who was this razor sharp ice queen of a teacher. And if you ever did wrong, she had this way of just turning her head and looking at you and all the weight of disappointment crushed your soul. I can't explain with you, but we started calling her Iwami the Ice Queen. And it got back to the other professors. 
And so people are saying, like, oh, she's so cold, and she's mean, and I think she might be a communist, and all of this stuff started to, like, this, this personality that wasn't really hers kind of started brewing. And they're like, oh, she's not that bad. She's not a communist. She plays volleyball. And we're like, what does that have to do with anything? But to them, that was like, you know, debate's over. She plays volleyball. She's apparently not that bad of a person. I don't get what they meant by that and why that was the definitive end of the argument. There's always going to be something a little bit different in the way that people think in these other... But here, this was all overcome. And when we say it's overcome, I want you to think back to who it was that confounded the languages. Would you go with me back to Genesis? Let's go all the way back to Genesis. Genesis 11. In Genesis 11, we read about the Tower of Babel. Most people that are somewhat familiar with their Bible, they understand that God created the world, and so you have creation. Then you have mankind sinning, what we call the fall. And then mankind becomes so wicked that God sends the flood upon the earth. And then you have, after the flood, the gathering back together of people. And instead of spreading and filling the earth, as God commanded them to, they gathered together and they tried to make themselves a name. They tried to lift themselves up and they built this city and they tried to build a tower all the way up to God in order to be gods themselves or to worship the sun and the moon and the stars. And in Genesis 11, in verse number 6, it says, And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. You've probably heard the term Babel when referring to perhaps a baby. Right? The baby is babbling. What does that mean? Making sounds that you can't understand. It's almost like speech, but it's not. You know, they're just kind of making sounds and they're in those stages of getting ready to speak. Or if somebody is just mumbling and they're not making any sense, you might say, you're babbling. You're babbling. Honey, stop. You're babbling. Right? I, I recommend you don't say that too often. You'll get in trouble. But it means you're saying something that you don't, that, that is uncomprehensible because... They were all gathered together, and this wickedness was running through the people again, and you're going to have another flood-type situation where all the earth becomes corrupted and wicked, and to stem the flow of this wickedness running through the whole population, God puts a divider in it so that not all of the people would become wicked. And he makes it so that they cannot coordinate and they cannot share their ideas together outside of these language groups that then form because at the, suddenly they couldn't understand each other, speak in different languages. They don't know what's going on. They don't know what's being said. And they couldn't work together, and they end up out of necessity separating from one another. And some of the people did speak the same languages. Not everyone got their own, but they were into groups, and they moved out, and civilization spread. And so God decided it was a good thing for him to do back in Genesis to confound, to confuse the languages. But here in Acts, the message of the gospel is so important, and God's desire to get the message to all of the people is so close to his heart, is such his mission, that for this time, he temporarily breaks down the language barrier and allows the gospel to flow through freely. This is God's heart for all of these different people groups. Let's go back into the book of Acts. And in verse number 9, let's look at some of these people. The Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia, and in Judea, and in Cappadocia, in Pontus, and Asia. Chapter, verse 10, Phrygia and Pamphylia, in Egypt, and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene. You know the parts of Libya, the ones that are about Cyrene. And the strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes. So we're getting to all of these different places and all of these different people, people out of Rome and all the different provinces of Rome, and not just Jewish people came, but proselytes. If you believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but you were not born a Jewish person, you were not born ethnically, you could convert. You would never be quite as holy or quite as set apart as someone born into it, but you, you could become a, a proselyte. You could become a devout person. Well, they were all in 
Jerusalem at this time. Verse 11, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. You know what they had a chance to speak about once the language barrier was torn down? They spoke about the Lord. And they were, they were able to tell all of these people the gospel. Now think with me for a moment. They are going to have to preach the gospel to every creature. Imagine with me that all of these people that came to Jerusalem, the tens of thousands of people that came to Jerusalem for this time, if not more, heard the message of Jesus in their own tongue so that they can fully understand it. We're going to get an idea of what specifically was preached when we meet together again and we look at Peter's sermon. But there wasn't just Peter talking, they were all talking. So you go into Jerusalem, this amazing thing happens, and then you return to Cappadocia. Okay, we're going back to Cappadocia because that's where we live. And we go back there and someone's going to say, hey, I didn't get to go to Jerusalem this year. How was it? You're not going to believe what happened. All of these people from Galilee were able to speak Cappadocian and they were able to tell us that the Messiah came and we didn't even know it. His name was Jesus of Nazareth. He died, rose from the grave. Hundreds of people saw him after he died, and now all of the promises of the Messiah have been fulfilled in him, and our salvation has finally come. Isn't that amazing? And so now, not just the guy that went back to Cappadocia said that, but to Phrygia as well, and the Pamphylia, and all those provinces of Rome, and the Medes that went back to their home. It says, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. You know what God did? He organized all of these things, the timing of the people, the breaking down of the language barrier, these people going back to where they were. He did all of that so that now, think about how many people know about Jesus. Isn't that encouraging that he didn't just leave it to the church and say, hey, figure out how you're going to reach everybody. No, God says, I'm, we're working in this together. We're fellow laborers with God. And God did this great work and gave them the gospel. Now, the response, you really had two different types of responses. Verse number 12. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Verse 13. Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. Here's what happened. They told the gospel. They spoke to people about Jesus. You get people that were amazed. You get people that were confused. And you got people that made fun of it. You got people that mocked it. You had some people that were amazed, and they would become the ones that would believe. We're going to see a host of people by the end of chapter 2 that believed. Thousands of people believed and were baptized. You're going to find some people that were confused by it. I don't know what to make of this. And then you got the other people that said they're drunk. Look at these guys babbling, speaking these other languages. Maybe this is an indication that they were hearing languages that they didn't know as well. I'm not sure. It's just inference. But some people rejected but some people accept it. Remember, some won't, but some will. Some won't, but some will, always. And so giving out the gospel can be discouraging because some won't, but don't stop because some will. You say, I don't know if some will. You're here. Don't forget that. You're here. You did. Is there something so wrong with you that you don't think anyone other than you is ever going to believe? Don't answer that question. I'll answer for you. No, other people will most assuredly believe. And then they would bring the message from the festival back to their homes. This is how you have things like in Antioch, how they heard that there were a bunch of people kind of doing church even before they got there, and they sent Barnabas down to find out, like these Gentiles are worshiping Jesus as Messiah? Who, who started that? What happened in Antioch that this was going on? And so they sent Barnabas to check it out, and Barnabas got there and realized, these people are saved. He was glad. He was thrilled. And he stayed there and encouraged the church in Antioch and brought Paul in to help as well. This is, of course, later on in the book of Acts. You ever wonder how those people in Antioch heard? I bet you a, a number of them had traveled to Jerusalem at Pentecost. And they heard this. How many other people heard these things and the rumors got back to their cities? So when Paul and Barnabas and others of the disciples, when they were spread abroad after persecution, how many of them showed up to these smaller villages and towns and they started talking about Jesus and they're like, we heard about that. We heard about this weird thing that happened at the Feast of Pentecost. That is the Lord going to great lengths, even breaking down the language barrier temporarily so that people would hear. 
What are some points of application? First of all, gather with God's people in unity. Gather with God's people in unity. Before the Spirit came in fullness, they were together. Not just together in location, but they were together in spirit. They were in the same place, agreeing together. That is so important. That is so important. Uh, Our church has been richly blessed, richly blessed, because we really don't have, by God's grace, and I hate to say it because the enemy will try and prove me wrong, we don't have a lot of division. We don't have a lot of people at each other's throats. There's no secret power struggles going on. And I can only say praise God for that, but you've probably heard of places. You've probably heard of times, even when churches split. If you're not familiar with that, what happens in a church split is that there's usually two or more personalities that are at odds with one another, and maybe it's over doctrine, or maybe it's just over this person did wrong, and one group wants to forgive and the other group doesn't. And there's something that happened, and what ends up happening is the church splits, One group goes one place, one group goes another place, and what most people forget about is there's a third group where people quit church and they never come back because of the damage that's done to the cause of Christ. I actually unknowingly showed up at a church just after it had split. I I ended up as a student at Ohio State at North Columbus Baptist Church uh, right after Dan Wolven came there after there was a nasty split. The previous pastor had left. And the church was down to like 30 people, and it was running much closer to 200 before all of that happened. And there were some people that went to other churches, and there were some people that stayed, and there were some people that had such a bad taste in their mouth that even years after the church got things straight and right and were back on where they ought to be, those folks were so burned by it that they never got back together. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? Isn't it sad to come to church and be like, oh, they're here. I'm going to avoid them. I don't want anything to do with them. Oh, it's them. Not shaking their hand. Or she didn't shake my hand. She must hate me. You know? Or, or they took my spoon at the potluck. Okay, that's, that's not an actual thing that I know have happened here, but maybe, maybe it has happened at other churches. But that division is one of the quickest ways to make a church ineffective. So if division makes a church ineffective, who do you think is going to start spreading division inside of the church? The enemy, Satan, he's our adversary. He is going to try and get you mad at me. He's going to try and get you mad at my wife. He's going to try and get you mad at Pastor Steve. He's going to try and get you mad at your Sunday school teacher. He's going to try and get you mad at one of the deacons. He's going to try and get you mad at the person that took your favorite pew or your favorite parking space. And he'll try and do as much as he can to cause as much trouble as he can because he is the sower of chaos. God is not the author of confusion, but Satan most assuredly is. And so he'll try and get in and cause all sorts of trouble. You and I have to decide we're just not going to play that game. We're just not going to do that. We have to recognize, no, I see what this is. This is the devil. Maybe the situation is real. Maybe the hurt or the offense is real. But you and I have a choice every time we encounter it. It's like coming upon a, a fire that's starting to burn. And in one hand, you have a bucket of water that you could use to put out the fire. And in the other hand, you have a bucket of gasoline And you have a choice which bucket you want to throw on that fire. You want to throw the bucket of gasoline on there, blow it up, make it bigger? Or do you want to show grace, cover a multitude of sins, and in love, throw that bucket of water on it, put that fire right out? You say, but they started the fire and they need to have their feet held to it. Is there not a God in heaven? Won't the judge of all the earth do right? He's much more capable of dealing with people and their bad behavior than than I ever was or will be. So let's, you and I, seek unity. And if we find conflict, we go back to the scripture because this is where we meet. What does the Bible say on it? What does the Bible say on it? And let's do it that way. Gather with God's people in unity. Second of all, adopt God's love for all people groups. Adopt God's love for all people groups. When it says that there were men out of every nation, that wasn't just talking about places. That was talking about groups of people that had their own language, their own culture, their own foods, their own way of doing things, their own way of dress. This was more about ethnicity than it was about uh, citizenship. And it says that they were all there, and God wanted all of them to hear. He went to great lengths for that. He wanted all of them to hear. Now, you and I know this. But some people, they they don't realize it. Did you know 
that the very first Christians didn't look like you and I? Right? Unless you happen to be of, of Middle Eastern or Mediterranean descent, probably you and I don't look like who the first Christians were. I know it's silly. You go someplace around the world and they're like, oh, Christianity is an American religion. No, it most assuredly isn't. Right? And so we understand that we are the product of people loving other people groups. We are the product of people in the Bible lands deciding we're going to go into Europe. We're going to go into Asia. Later on in church history, we're going to go into the Americas. We're going to go to the uttermost and we're going to reach these people with the gospel. And we're, we're the product of that because it didn't start with people that looked like you and I. God broke down this language barrier just to get them saved. And God wants all people saved, not just the ones that look like us. Heaven is going to be a place of great beauty and great variety. Multiple times in the book of Revelation, it says the people who were praising God and who were gathered around his throne were of every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation. There's going to be a bunch of people in heaven that don't look like me. And God says, that's beautiful. God says, that's what I want heaven to be like. And so you and I should adopt that same heart, even if people are different. We may not like how they do some things, but Jesus Christ died for them. And I may not love them or the way that they do things, but I do love him. And because I love him, I'll go after them because he loves them. I've told you the story of Katie Baby a bunch of times, right? Katie Baby was the Cabbage Patch doll that my, my daughter carried around with her everywhere. She couldn't go to sleep without Katie Baby. Katie Baby uh, had dreadlocks because my daughter liked to do this with her own hair or do this with the hair of her dolls, and it just turned into dreads. So here's this little Cabbage Patch doll with dreads, and she couldn't go to bed. And so you know what? Where's, where's Dad? Oh, he's out in the van trying to find Katie Baby. Oh, he drove back to the church building to try and find Katie Baby. Oh, he's out in the backyard at night trying to find Katie Baby. Why? You'd say, you'd look at that. Wow, Pastor must love that doll. I hated that thing. It, it was nasty, and it took me forever to find it. But my daughter loved it. And I love her, and so I went after trying to find Katie Baby. In the same way, people who we may not love naturally, we choose to love them because love is more than a feeling. It's a commitment. We choose to love them like Christ loves them and see their evangelization as our mission. Finally, we need to confront people with the gospel. We need to confront people with the gospel. God made sure that these crowds in Jerusalem were confronted with the gospel. They got to hear about how Jesus Christ, God's son, died for their sins and rose from the grave. Some people were amazed, some were confused, and some people mocked and rejected. And you and I are going to find the same thing when we confront people with the gospel. We need to bring that gospel conversation to a place where they either accept or reject the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, using the fishing metaphor, because Jesus called it fishing for men, uh, one of my spiritual fathers said, you've got to draw the net. You can't just leave the net out there. You've got to draw the net. You've got to bring them in and see who stays and who goes. We need to be confronted with either making the decision to receive Jesus Christ or to reject him. Because a faith that does not decide on what thinkest thou of Christ, that question that Jesus asked, it, a faith that doesn't decide about that is not a saving faith. You can't leave yourself undecided about Jesus and still make it to heaven. Because without your sins forgiven, and Jesus is the only way to have our sins forgiven, without making peace with the Father, and Jesus Christ is, says that no man cometh unto the Father but by me, without him, we don't get there. And so people must be brought to the place where it's not about church, and it's not about um, the songs that you sing in church, and it's not about how you worship or how you do this or that, or, or how it's decorated. You've got to bring them to a place about what do you think of Jesus Christ. I remember having the most frustrating conversation. David Robles and I were out uh, knocking on somebody's door, and we talked with this lady, and we kept trying to bring her to this place of deciding about Jesus, but all she wanted to talk about was art history and her many cats. 
and we'd try and draw the conversation spiritually, and then she was just over here about something else, and we'd try and bring it back, and she was over here about... It was one of the most frustrating things. If you don't guide that conversation towards people making a decision, then, then they don't feel like they have to make a decision. And that's dangerous to know much about Jesus, but never make a decision for him. Some people will accept, some people will reject. But they need to be brought to that place of making a choice. Let's ask a few questions before we pray together. What are some of the causes of disunity in a church? What are some of the causes of disunity in a church? Pride. How, how can pride cause trouble? How can pride cause trouble? How can it cause division? My way or the highway. My way or the highway. Preference. Yep. Yeah, yeah, about preferences. Specifically, that's true. What else besides pride can cause division? Yeah, Becky? Music. Music, yeah. Yeah, whether it's instruments or not, or, or music style or not, yeah. It can. What else can cause division? Bill? Okay, yeah, people listening to voices outside. And when he says that, I don't think you mean like you're hearing voices, but things you read... Right. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I saw another hand. Yeah. Politics. Politics. Yep. Yep. No doubt. No doubt. You you want you want to see you want to see some division happen real quick in our church? I get up next Sunday morning to preach, and I say, turn in your copy of the message to page. I think that would cause some strife, don't you? What people believe about the Word of God, what people believe about Jesus Christ, and whether or not he was fully God, his virgin birth, I, I think that that'll cause some trouble, don't you? Absolutely. Yes? How about uh, probably the most current, the most recent, easy-to-understand issue we have faced in, a wor- in our world Mm. Yep. COVID. What do you do? What don't you do? Do we wear a mask, not wear a mask? And that was probably the most recent, the biggest divider of Christians throughout our world. And all was the devil sitting back laughing. Amen. And rejoicing. What does grace look like when you disagree with someone? You just let it go. Yeah. What does it look like when there's no grace when you disagree with someone? Fighting? Raised voices? Dirty looks? Not talking to them. Got to leave Sunday school. Can't stand that person. Right? Absolutely. How do we know that God loves all people groups? How do we know that? Yeah, Ron? John 3.16. That is the perfect place to go. For God so loved the world. Christ tasted death for every man, right? God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God who will have all men to be saved, right? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Amen. Bill? Yes. Every creature, every part of, of creation, we're supposed to go in, preach the gospel. Amen. I mentioned it, but what God says heaven's going to look like. We know that he loves them. And then finally, why is it important? I want you to think about this one. We support 
uh, First Bible International, which is the ministry of uh, Randy and Kelly Johnson. There's other people that work with First Bible, but they work on uh, getting people an accurate copy of the Bible in their own heart language. You may be surprised to know this, but there's not a Bible in every language out there that people speak, not even in all of the large languages. There are languages of a million people, hundreds of thousands of people that don't have a Bible in them. And that may shock you, but that is, that is a reality today. And so we support them in doing that. But why is it important for people to have an accurate Bible in their own heart language? Why is that important? Amen. So they can study it for themselves and have their own walk with God. If they can't understand the Bible, how do they have a good relationship with God? Does anybody know what happened to the general populace during the Dark Ages with the, the, the high church, Catholic, Roman Catholic church? Who was the only person that was able to know and understand the scriptures? The priests. And they kept it as control over the normal people until folks like William Tyndale and others gave their lives so that the common people could know it. I think Tyndale said that he would, to uh, one of the, the vicars that was trying to hold on to, he says, I will make sure that the average plowboy knows more of the scriptures than you. <laughs> you know? That, that is, what, what else is an important reason why they need to have an accurate Bible in their own language? Yeah, Bill? So they can tell others. Amen. It is. Oh, that's just, that's just the, the white man's thing. Oh, wait, God speaks my language? God wanted me to have the scriptures? Wow. It, it, makes, it makes a bigger difference than, apparently it made a very big difference on these people that were in Jerusalem, because they're like, they're speaking in the languages in which we were born. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your great heart for people that look like us, that don't look like us, that speak like us and don't speak like us, that live like us and don't live like us. I thank you that someone was willing to look beyond, uh, beyond Jewish believers to Gentiles, to have the heart for the gospel to go forth into the nations where we look back and we say that's where our Christian heritage comes from. I pray that you'd help us to have your heart. I pray that you'd overcome prejudice and bad experiences. I pray that you'd help us to show grace. Lord, keep us from divisions. Let us seek the mind of Christ. Let us seek your word and stand upon it. Let us show grace upon grace for one another, for we need it in return. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'd like to give, uh, make sure everyone has a prayer sheet. Anybody